630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. It's Connor McDavid. He's got Darrell Walker, and he's got some room down the sidelines. McDavid to Everly, dishes off one time to the 30, 20, 10, 5, score! Touchdown, Eskimos! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Well, let's get it going. That's what I'm saying to you. That's probably what a lot of you have been saying to the Edmonton Oilers after watching their offense dry up over the last few games. Another tough one on Saturday. 5-1 loss to the Chicago Blackhawks. The power play a story. 0 for 12 over the last four games. Two very intense days of practice for the Edmonton Oilers. A lot of uh, work on details, a lot of work on battling for the puck in the important areas of the ice, especially in the blue paint offensively. I will say this, the Oilers generally this season have responded well after they've had a day or two like this, and I expect them to again tomorrow against those pesky Arizona Coyotes. The Oilers ended the curse earlier this season, but you know they're always a tough out, especially, well, if Mike Smith plays tomorrow, because it is a back-to-back for the Coyotes as they face Calgary tonight. We'll talk about all that. We have a preview of CFL free agency as well. Could John Ojo be saying farewell to the green and gold? We didn't see him in 2016, and maybe that proved his value more than anything because the Eskimos secondary really their weakest position set last season and they didn't have Ojo he ruptured his Achilles in the preseason and we'll speak to the young man who ended the Oil Kings long losing streak yesterday Tyler Robinson got the overtime winner for the Oil Kings against Calgary thanks so much for tuning in hope you had a great weekend it is 6.08 my name is Reed Wilkins the show is inside sports you can participate by phoning 780-496-0063. You can also text 63630. You can tweet me at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. The email is inside sports at 630ched.com. Had a great listener suggestion that last week to talk about the Tom Elniski tournament at Emmy Lazert, and I was happy to have Andrew Parker, the head coach of Emmy Lazert, on the show to uh, shine a little light on uh, the late Mr. Elniski and what he meant to the school and uh, to a lot of young uh, uh, students when he was teaching at that school. So that was great. Okay, so we want to get rolling here with some other stuff. Now, first of all, the line combinations are going to look different tomorrow. Here's how they were at practice today and uh, what we can expect for tomorrow with a little bit of a, a conditional item on one of them. Here's what we're looking at. McDavid with Maroon and Everly. So Maroon gets to stay there with McDavid. Everly gets another shot on that line. Leon Dreisaitl back to center as he was in the third period against Chicago. He'll be between Milan Lucic and Anton Slepyshev. Nugent Hopkins with Kajula and Cassian. That's an interesting combination. And the way they lined up today, Mark Letestu was between Matt Hendricks and Eero Pakarinen. Now, Pakarinen remains on injured reserve. Uh, but, I mean, he played five games on a conditioning stint 
in uh, Bakersfield. So he could theoretically be activated if Benoit Pouliot can't play. And here's what happened with Benoit Pouliot. It was a longer-than-usual practice on Sunday. It was a pretty intense practice. I mentioned some of the battle drills. It was all about finding more offense, puck retrieval, all that kind of stuff that the orders have been a little off with. A, a couple things I want to mention here. The They ended... Or late in practice, it wasn't quite at the end, but it was pretty close to the end, with a, a, a skating drill. So they were in groups of six or seven. They divided up into thirds. And the group lined up along one goal line, except for one guy started in the faceoff dot. So he was the rabbit, and the rest of the guys had to chase him. And they basically did a lap and a half. So they did a lap and then went back and ended at the far goal line. So it was funny watching this because what happened was if the rabbit got passed, he had to go again with the next group. If that didn't happen, then the guy who finished last had to go again on the next group. So nobody was trying too hard to pass the rabbit because he didn't want to embarrass the guy and make him go again, but he didn't want to finish last. So there was a lot of trying to stay in the middle. Benoit Pouliot and Drake Kajula clipped skates as they were making a turn. They both crashed into the boards pretty hard. Uh, they were both down for not a long time, but, you know, 10, 20 seconds. Uh, skated it off, but Pouliot's still a little banged up from that today. So he did not skate. He'll be looked at again tomorrow. But anyway, if he does play, Pouliot's now demoted all the way down to the fourth line. Uh, just 10 points so far this season. What is he up to now? 26 games without a goal. So that's a tough run for him. Now, you don't want a guy to be hurt, but he's he's down to the fourth line, and you wonder if Pakarinen might have been getting a chance uh, ahead of him anyway. So that was one little thing that happened from that drill, and it could affect the lineup tomorrow. Maybe they activate Pakarinen. The other thing, so they each they each did this twice going around. The second time McDavid's group went, I don't know what happened, but it wasn't clear exactly who finished last. But it wasn't Connor McDavid. And then the next group was getting ready to go. And McClellan calls down the ice. Who was last there? Who's going again? Connor? Well, Connor McDavid stood up off one knee, went down to the other end of the ice, and went again. Because that's what captains do. Didn't point out who was actually last. He sucked it up, and he went again. And he clearly was not the guy that should have been going again given the rules of the drill. So I found that a little interesting and a little sign of leadership. So anyway, uh, so there, there's the line combinations. There's uh, that drill on uh, on Sunday that a lot of people were talking about back at practice today. And uh, again, I mentioned Eberle now will play right wing with Connor McDavid. Really, well, not really. I mean, for sure, the best right winger for Connor McDavid has been Leon Dreisaitl, and Todd McClellan was asked about still trying to find a right winger for McDavid. Well, I, I think if if players respond properly and and uh, and blossom, their their offense comes out. Uh, some of them that we were talking about earlier will have that guy, and it doesn't have to be permanent. It can be seven, eight, nine games, and then we can we can shuffle things around. But uh, ultimately, Leon has been the the best fit there. Uh, but obviously we can't keep going uh, scoring one or two goals a night. We've got to spread that out right now. Well, Leon has been the best fit there. I, I mean, Everly is, he's been incredibly streaky. When, when he's dangerous, he's dangerous. When he's on the score sheet, he really hits the score sheet. But he's had, what, 34 games without a point? And then 
he had the 32 points he does have have been in the other 22 games. Now, that often happens with offensive players. That's a little exaggerated. You'll, you'll wonder here if he's going to finally be able to grab it with McDavid a little bit more. But the power play, big story, 0 for 12 over the last four games. They had the opportunity to tie the game late in the first period against Chicago. Power play didn't come through. I went back and looked since the 1st of January. The Oilers are just 7 for 47 on the man advantage, 14.9%. In the 2017 portion of the season, the Oilers are 24th in the league on the power play. They're 15th when you factor in the entire season. McClellan asked about the work they did on it today. Well, that proof will be in the pudding tomorrow night. Um, you know, we've had success with uh, some of the principles we've had in place with uh, with certain groupings, and uh, we've got away from that a little bit. And uh, when your five-on-five scoring goes dry, you need your power play to perform, and right now they've both gone dry. So uh, not only do we have to improve power play-wise, but... Um, obviously creating opportunities five on five so worked on uh, on things in practice today and um, a few small adjustments like we did in the past and we'll see if it pays off when you look at it it's not schematic um, the players are actually getting to the spots that they need to be it's uh, sloppy play it's sloppy passing uh, poor reads and nobody expects them to be perfect but our our execution number has gone way down um, which in turn affects your your percentage number but uh, if you just take a two minute power play and you look at uh, the skill of passing uh, the skill of making the right read uh, the release and hitting your spot at or near the net uh, those skills have diminished a little bit in our team and uh uh, for us to get our power play number up and running again and getting the reward, that, that area has to get cleaned up more than, uh, you know, than shuffling a lot of players around because we do get to the spots we want to get to. It's just the execution from there. You know, I thought that was an interesting clip there from Todd McClellan. He says it's not schematic with the power play, but he called that their execution number have, has gone down. So they're basically it's like their batting average has gone down. Uh, you know they're they're in the right places, but the timing is a little bit off. Some of the reads are a little bit off. The passes aren't quite sharp enough. So I don't think it's a it, it's a in need of a drastic overhaul. But again, we've talked a lot about this season about details and how the Oilers have been a lot more detailed when they've been successful. And I think that those have creeped out of their game a little bit, and you hope that a couple days of practice are going to help them get get them back. Uh, I'll get to some texts to 630-630. The phone lines are open, 780-496-0063. And a very interesting comment from Matt Hendricks as we move along. Inside Sports on Chet. Hey, this is Jordan Eberle from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. Well, we just got a text about Jordan Eberle from West End. Ron, loyal listener, huge Edmonton Eskimos and San Francisco 49ers fan. He says, hi, Reed. Just some thoughts on Eberle. Last game was his worst this year. He lost every puck battle, was soft with the puck, seemed uninterested. What does he bring if not scoring? Time to trade him. I never say anything bad about him before, but it's time to make a deal. That is from West End Ron. Well, Ron, look, uh, I mean, it wasn't a good game for Everly. I didn't think Nugent Hopkins had a great game either. They had an early chance. Nugent Hopkins at least tried to engage in the fight. or Well, he did engage, but tried to amp himself up a little bit with the fight at the end of the game. Um, 
I mean, that's that's the knock on Everly. What does he bring if he doesn't score, and does he score consistently enough? The the problem with 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 trading Everly is that this isn't just a message to West End Ron; it's to everybody. It, the, the pro scouts and the other general managers see what you're seeing, and and, and not to discredit the, the hockey knowledge of the people listening because I, I know many of you have been watching hockey all your life but you're probably not seeing Everly's game in detail and as in comparison to other players as much as the scouts and other general managers are so and I, I, I stand by what I've been saying all season an in-season trade of Jordan Everly to me is highly unlikely and I also want you to keep this in mind if and when Jordan Everly does get traded by the Edmonton Oilers you're you're going to be underwhelmed with the return. I, I just want you to be. I, I I would sooner prepare you for the worst than try to put rainbows up your nose, because many of you are still extremely upset. Not all of you, but there's a lot of people who still feel the Oilers didn't get enough for Taylor Hall. Well, if you feel they didn't get enough for Taylor Hall, I don't know what you feel they're going to expect for Jordan Eberle that that's really going to make you happy. I, I think, as I've as I've said, there are Shirelli problems and there are McClellan problems. I think day to day we focus on the McClellan problem of how does he deploy the pieces in order to get the team more consistently productive. That, that's that's how I look at that. Uh, Bill says, uh, I believe the Oilers will maybe get a wild card spot of their forwards. Four of them are doing very little. Calgary and Los Angeles are coming on. The Oilers have no intensity. They look like they couldn't care less. Talbot keep bailing. Talbot can't keep bailing them out. Thanks. That is from Bill. Yeah, I, I mean, here's the thing, Bill, and I said this at the beginning of the month. I think February is going to be a tough month because they only play three home games. Much the way November was a tough month, and they went five, eight, and two, and they recovered of it, recovered from it. They're one and three already in February with eight games left. Look, this could be a four or five win month. There, there's no doubt about it. I, I expect this to be a below five hundred month for the team, uh, given the cushion they have in the playoff race. Even if with that, they'll probably still be in the top three in the Pacific by the end of the month, and then. You're playing meaningful games in March, which was the catchphrase we were all hoping for over the last four or five seasons as the decade of darkness continued. So, um, Bill, you know, it is going to be tight. I mean, here's the thing, guys. I, I have approached this whole season as an observer of the Oilers, expecting it to be difficult. I really do. So if they go into March... With a three-point cushion on a playoff spot, two-point cushion for a playoff spot, tied for a playoff spot, it's not going to freak me out because I just think that's, a, that's finally a normal part of the journey. And, and even really good teams with, with the, how close everything is, with the way points are handed out freely, with the overtime losses, even a lot of teams who look like they're in a comfortable position often don't wind up officially clinching until there are five, six, seven games left in the season. So, again, I'm not going to sugarcoat to this for you guys either. Expect bumps in the road, especially this month. Expect to be stressed out. And expect it probably to go into April for the chase to nail down a playoff spot. Are they in a good position to get in? Yes, they are. But I expect the next eight games to to have you worrying 
We have Alex on the line. Hi, Alex. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Uh, so I just wanted to, to say, like, I mean, with Nugent and Everlay, um, my own personal opinion is I think this is just a really bad year for them. I, I do think that they are better than what they've been doing. Um, my question with Nugent, though, is I've been hearing a lot of people talking about it all. Now that we've moved dry sidle down to the second line, that we might be trying to trade Nuge. And I, I would not like to see that because I, I don't think we have the gas just yet. And like I said before, I think that he's got more for us. It's just a bad year. But I have two questions for you. One, do you think that it will happen either at the deadline or in the offseason? And two, even if we were to trade him this season, what do you think we would be able to get for him? For Nuge or for Everly? For Nuge. Uh, I don't think Nuge and Hopkins will be traded in the next, how are we, till the deadline? Two weeks tomorrow? No. It's March 1st, right? So Wednesday. Uh, I don't think Nuge and Hopkins will be traded at the deadline. What what could they potentially get for him? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Um, That is a really good question. Uh, I mean, they would probably... That's a tough call. I mean, I, I go back and forth on that. I know they want to fill out. I think they. I, I think if the if he makes a move at the deadline, it would be for for a depth winger who could score, or maybe even a depth center like a Hansel type. I don't know if you move Nugent, Nugent Hopkins though, if that's who it would necessarily be for. I, I think he has a little more cachet on the market than Everly, uh, because he does play center, and I, and I think people still see. Um, some ability there to play in both ends of the ice. I think you make a good point. Sometimes players just have a down year for the entire year, right? And then yeah. and then they bounce back. It, it, the 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 mystifying thing with Nugent Hopkins though is that he appears to have peaked as a rookie. You know, like this is his sixth year already. You know, yeah. The points per game. I mean, what would they get for him? I I don't know. I mean, he, Shirelli would probably try to get. You know. Uh, maybe a rugged winger or maybe another depth D-man, you know, who could be a middle pairing type guy, you know, but you wouldn't get somebody as good as Larson for him if you had to give up Hall for Larson. Probably not. Yeah. All right, well, thanks. It's a tough call, Alex, Uh, because... It's your show, and uh, have a good night. Okay, thanks. I appreciate you tuning in. More text to 630-630. Got a uh, rather a uh, wordy text about Milan Lucic. I'll get to that. And I, I still want to get to the, a Matt Hendricks clip from the weekend because I thought he provided a really good summary of what the Oilers need to work on. Also, in the next half hour, Dave Campbell is going to preview free agency for Edmonton Eskimos. All ahead on Inside Sports. Hi, this is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. All right, so the game tomorrow against Arizona, 5.30 for the face-off show here on 6.30. Ched, the puck will drop at 7. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Gustav Nyquist from the Detroit Red Wings has waived his right to an in-person hearing, but because they were requesting in-person, that usually means six or more game suspension coming for him. You probably have seen the video by now. He high-sticked Jared Spurgeon in the face yesterday. Did you see that one, Warren? That was ugly. Yeah, it was really ugly. And it uh, looked like he was trying to do something malicious. So that's not going to... It wasn't really accidental. Oh, not at all. <laughs> uh, got a double minor on the play. 
prob- probably should have got more. Uh, I mean, that looked like an intent to injure for sure. So we'll see what happens uh, with that. Quick note from, this is a sport we don't talk about a lot, but there is an Edmonton connection. The University of Connecticut women's basketball team is going for its 100th straight win tonight against South Carolina. You heard that correctly. 100th straight win. Warren, the last time they lost, you were just a boy. March 12, 2013. Just a boy, yeah. Uh, now, do you know who plays for that team that has a tie to the Edmonton Oilers? Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Kia Nurse. Oh, Darnell's okay. sister. And uh, obviously a member of the Canadian uh, national team who yeah, are based right. right here in Edmonton. I think uh, that game, I believe, has it tipped off already? i got to double check. Anyway, 100 wins in a row, you know, or as John Wooden calls it, not bad. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can also text us at six thirty six thirty. The game uh, it starts at seven. Well, that's going to be a tough one. South Carolina is ranked sixth in the country. Connecticut's ranked first. So uh, there you go. Uh, some texts here to six thirty six thirty. Oh, sorry, I didn't do the NHL scoreboard. Uh, just one game going on. The Blue Jackets lead the Rangers one nothing. Dubinsky has his eighth of the season. That is after one. Coyotes and Flames will start at seven, and then obviously the Coyotes are here tomorrow night. Okay, now some texts. Bill says, "Read, Nugent Hopkins is fine. Look at his wingers; they're not helping him at all." Mark says, "The cap space the Oilers would get by trading Everly is worth more than the return." Well, and you know what? I've heard that argument before. Uh, you just clear off some room, uh, so maybe you'd get, you know, you wouldn't get an even return in the trade player quality-wise, but you'd have more money up to get a free agent or pay Dreisaitl and McDavid as they move out of their entry-level contracts. That's a fair comment by Mark. Leonard says, I still don't like the Hall trade. Sorry. Leonard, you don't have to apologize to me by any means. Lennox says, Reed Pouliot would actually bring down the quality of our fourth line. He has been a disappointment to every team he has ever played for. And uh, Darcy, the VAC truck driver, took the time to send a lengthy text, so I'll take the time to read it because he put some thought into it. He says, Lucic needs to be a present every game, doesn't have to score every night, but he should be physical and deterring. Everly has improved without the puck, but needs to produce more. It won't happen unless he gets more aggressive and gets in the hard areas. Hopkins has been given a more defensive role this year and is facing more first-line opposition. Todd is trying to take the same approach as he did with Pavelski. Both Nugent Hopkins and Everly will be important in the final stretch. Haters back off and concentrate on positives rather than nitpick, or instead just keep it to yourself. We, the glass-half-full fans are tired of listening to the broken record you're playing. That is from Darcy, the VAC truck driver. Darcy, I appreciate that. Um, But hey, sometimes this show is therapy. It's okay, however you're feeling. You can tell old Wilkie. Uh, here's Here's the thing about Everly. We're having the same conversation about this player we were having 12 months ago. To me, that's probably the most frustrating thing. How has he really altered his game to to make himself more effective? I know there was a show last year where I was being critical of Everly, not taking the puck to the net, and actually somebody called in and said, Reed, you got to back off. You know, he produces, he scores at a pretty high rate, so you need a guy like that on your team. Uh, but for me, it's and Darcy said it in that text, 
you, most goals are scored from within 10, 15 feet of the net, right? The odd goal goes in from long range, but you got to have the puck and people around the net. And just too often with Eberle, I'm seeing the take the puck down the wall, curl back, look for a trailer. I, I mean, it's almost every single time. It, it's almost every single time. So has there really been a progression in his game? Is, is, has he really worked on making himself more dangerous than he was three years ago? I, 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 don't, I don't see that. I guess that's where my criticism comes from. Um, I, I do think I, I, I do think that was a fair comment in the text that it's in, in, in some ways he has improved without the puck. Uh, he had that pretty embarrassing moment against Dallas where he didn't get the back on the back check and then he threw his head back. I do think he's worked a little harder in that area. But and hey, you know if you're getting that money, then you got to hit the score sheet. And if you've done it in the past, then you got to keep hitting the score sheet. Scott on the phone line. Good evening, Scott. Hey, how you doing, Reed? Doing well. Uh, I just wanted to uh, comment on uh, one of your texts saying that Lucic has to be more physical, whatever. I mean, we're talking about somebody who's a seasoned vet that has won a Stanley Cup, knows what, how to pick his spots. Now, if he was to play gung, gung-ho every single game, well, he wouldn't play 82 games. He wouldn't have left anything left for the uh, playoffs. So, basically, my point is... He's a seasoned vet. He'll pick the spots when he needs to. I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting sick and tired of, you know, people criticizing him uh, on all these uh, blog blog uh, uh, sites and whatnot, saying, you know, six million dollars. What has he done for us? Well, you'll see what he did. He does for us in the playoffs. Well, you know, Scott, you're you're not the first person to bring that up. That that maybe his value will show more once the games get even more tighter. And I know yeah. fans don't want to hear this, but oh, you think some of the games have been low scoring lately? Guess what's coming, <laughs> right? Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, fair point. And there there have been a couple times he's he's risen to the occasion. Now, I also understand some of the frustration because I think we were hoping for a little more scoring, especially five-on-five. And there are nights he doesn't seem like he's around the puck a lot. Um, but I, but I, you know, I, I do think he's helped in the dressing room. And, and I know you can't measure that, and some of the people who are hardcore into the numbers don't want to hear that. But I do think he's helped with the calmness and, and, and with the attitude. So... Uh, I, I, I've always, I, I haven't been too hard on him this season because I do think the best of uh, is yet to come of him in an Oilers uniform. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, that's uh, that's my piece <laughs> tonight. Thanks, Reed. Okay, appreciate it, Scott. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Another Scott has texted in. He says, uh, Reed, what's your opinion on the defense pairs make up once Nurse is able to play again? Well, I think it's, uh, and I'll assume Russell is is healthy. He's not skating. I don't. He's not skating, but I don't think he's going to be out too long. I think it's Sekera and Russell. I think it's Clefbaum and Larson, and I think it's Nurse and Benning. Quite frankly, uh, I mean, Gribe is clearly a seventh defenseman, and I think Nurse and Benning bring more than Davidson does. And I don't think, in my mind, I don't think Davidson has been playing a rugged enough game. Given his role on the team, I really don't. That would, that, if I was going to nitpick, and that's what we do, that that would be what I would say about Davidson. So, I, I mean, to me, that to me, that's a definite top six for the Oilers: Secker and Russell, Clefbaum and Larson, uh, Nurse and Benning. 
You have Davidson and Griba as your 7-8. You have probably Osterley as your first call-up, and then Reinhardt and Simpson after that. And by the way, as an aside, how far down is Mark Fain on the depth chart right now? Remember, he's still an Oiler. He's still playing for the Bakersfield Condors. Um, MW says, how do you think these new pants will affect Talbot? Uh, my answer is, I honestly don't think they will. I think he'll be fine. He's played a few games in them already. He's been, he's, I, I know Talbot's been pulled twice since the All-Star break. I, I don't see that as an, as alarming. He's not letting in junky goals. I don't think the team has played well uh, uh, around him. Uh... This person says, why does it seem the Oilers are doing a run and gun for the Cup? Why don't they accept that they need to take time to build the perfect team around Connor? I just don't see the point in trying to make the playoffs only to get knocked out early. The general manager's moves just don't seem healthy, especially for the long-term quality of the team. Hmm, that's an interesting one. Um so I think this texture means that he, he thinks Shirelli is putting a lot of eggs in the basket to try to win the cup this year. I don't know about that. I, I still think there are a couple other big things he can do, like trying to maybe acquire a power play defenseman. I mean, who knows if Tyson Berry might still be available from the Avalanche. I, I don't think the Oilers have a realistic shot at Shattenkirk, but I, but they, that's going to be talked about until he actually goes somewhere. Yeah, I, I see, I actually... I'll say to that texture, I, I don't agree with you because I actually think the window is just opening for the Oilers, and I, I think they want to make the playoffs this year. I think the experience of being in the playoffs will be valuable, but... I still think that the window is is going to be wider open, more widely open, however you want to put it, um, probably starting next season. I think th- I think this season is about getting the experience of getting in, having some veterans to show the young guys how to do it, and then maybe there's a you know, a huger move still to come. And the the haul for Larson move was pretty huge, obviously. But, uh, yeah, interesting point. I don't see it that way, but interesting point. We got Lou on the line. Hi, Lou. Hey, how you doing, Big Paul? Good. You know, you're from Evansburg, right? Yes, sir. I hear a lot of good things about you. Uh, just a little history here. And I was a kid in Edson. We played hockey against them. We played hockey against them. They had an open-air air rink there in Evansburg. Their best player... His name was Wolf. He, his dad ran the creamery. So there you go. Okay, must have been before my time because Evansburg had a time. When did you move out there? Oh, I lived there from 1980 till I finished high school in 1991, and my parents stayed there till about uh, 05. Oh yeah, well, but the rink was covered when here. I played there. Yeah, well, you're lucky you got a nice arena out there now. Yes. Hey, uh, Reed. You know uh, what? What baffles me? I played. Uh, quite a bit of hockey in the north and so on. And not bad hockey and senior hockey, but gee, you know, 40 defensemen we had and and uh, maybe uh, you, you never had uh, nine forwards for sure. But we got a good sweat and we played uh, 30 minutes a game. I just don't understand why these guys can't give it for for the game. 
it's, it, it baffles me to see a guy that can't work hard, and every night they get the same story. Oh, they're a little this, a little of that, but I know if you were out there, you'd give her for five, ten minutes. Yeah, and I'd be completely overmatched, and I would look like I was lazy. <laughs> no, but if you were a, a, a hockey player in that fourth line, when you got on the ice, you they couldn't hold you back. Well, I think the Oilers' fourth liners have worked pretty hard most of the time this season, personally. Yeah, they 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 do because they're trying to get on the on the other lines. Lou, can you can I put you on hold because well, I want to play? Go now you do a great job, Reed, and I like listening to you and. Uh, Lots of luck. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, thanks, buddy. That's that's sweet. I'm glad Lou's the first person to wish me happy Valentine's Day. If there are any women listening and you could just wish me a happy Valentine's Day, either on the text line or by phoning in, that I'd really appreciate that. No, but in all seriousness, I'm glad Lou brought that up because it uh, it it's almost that that couldn't have gone better if we would have planned Lou to call in. Uh, here's Matt Hendricks talking about some of the team's offensive struggles. And I think you know, most of you, I think, trust Matt Hendricks when he talks about work ethic and what's going on with the team. But it's not just uh, the work. It's the way we're playing. We're not getting enough pucks to the net, so we're not going to the net as much. We tend to look for the perfect plays a little bit too often, and guys don't stop in front of the net, so we're not getting pucks there. It's about the way that we're playing, not about our work ethic. We're a hardworking group, but we need to play you know, the right style of game that, that, built our, that, that, that works with our group. And to find goals in this game, it's not about tic-tac-toes at this level. It's about second and third opportunities. Um, you look at Chicago, for example. Minnesota's been doing that a lot lately. It's a lot of those rebound goals, whether it be five-on-five five or power play. So I thought that, and Hendricks actually said that after practice yesterday, and I, I've always found that, and I, I don't want to completely discredit what Lou is saying because sometimes you do see a team lose and, yeah, they did cut some corners or they, or they didn't work hard enough. I, I think what Hendricks is saying there is they, they do, they have established a work ethic. They've raised their standards. But for the last few games, maybe they haven't been working in the most effective way possible or the smartest way possible. And he said it, we're not getting pucks to the net, so therefore people aren't going to the net. And we're not getting those second or third chances. So to me, that comes down to a, to a detail. That comes down to just recommitting yourself and reminding yourself of of the things that you've done in the past to be successful. I, I just I, I just don't think every time your favorite team loses, they could have won if they just worked harder. Yeah, because sometimes you're overmatched. Sometimes another team makes more plays. Sometimes the other team has a better roster. Um, and I and I think what what's happened here with the Oilers scoring slump. I don't personally. I don't think it stems from laziness, and I think that's what Matt Hendricks is saying. And I think we all know Matt Hendricks well enough from the three times that he, three years he has been here, that if he thought it was stemming from laziness, he would he would say that. He might say it a little more politely, but 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 he would he would say that. So, uh, I mean, look, are, are there guys on the Oilers having bad seasons for sure? As a team, do I do I think they're consistently dogging it or or being lazy? Qu- quite frankly, I don't. I, I think some nights they've been beaten, some nights they haven't taken care of the the details. But but I don't see them um, as as a lazy, uninspired team. I, I really don't. I, I really don't. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can also text six thirty six thirty. Hey, the Oil Kings finally won. We'll talk to the guy who got the overtime winner when we get back.
This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. All right, straight to the phone lines here. We have Beverly calling in. Hi, Beverly. Hi, Beverly. How are you? Happy Valentine's Day. Thank I'm you. I'm a woman, and I wanted to wish you Happy Valentine's Day. But I, anyway, I'm a true Oilers fan, and um, I just wanted to uh, comment on if, uh, you know, the people or fans had heard at the beginning of the year that the Oilers would have a chance of getting into the, you know, the playoffs in eighth spot, they would be so happy. And, you know, if they continue to, um, I think they, they hit a little bit of a niche here, but I think they're going to progress, and I think they're going to be in seventh or maybe sixth spot. Who knows, you know? So I, I just wanted to make a comment, um, and uh, I'm, I'm so pleased with the way they're playing, and they and every team has their problems. You know, even the best of teams have, uh, you know, a slump. So uh, we shouldn't get down on them, and I, I believe, really truly believe that in the next two or three years, we'll be right up there. So anyway, I just wanted to make that comment. Yeah, well, it's been a, they've, they've, they're going in the right direction for sure. They sure are. Thank yeah. you so much for the call. Okay. Bye, Reed. That is Beverly checking in tonight. Much appreciated. Okay, the Oil Kings finally ended their 16-game losing streak. Tyler Robinson got the overtime winner yesterday against Calgary. Tyler, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing very well. Congratulations on your overtime winner yesterday against the Calgary Hitmen. I know it's been a tough go for the Oil Kings. Uh, just what did it feel like when you saw that puck go in? It was obviously a big sigh of relief. Uh, we've been waiting for for the end of that streak for quite a while. I mean, what's uh, what was the game like yesterday? Obviously, you had the lead and and they came back. Have you guys been, you know, doubting yourselves a little bit in in close games, or or how did you deal with uh, it being tight yesterday? Well, we came in knowing it was a big game, and we've been just trying to stay positive the last sixteen games and trying to keep our head up and see the light at the end of the tunnel. So. We came in and uh, we did our best in that one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, obviously, it was it was 16 games, so it was a while between victories. How did you guys just sort of keep working through that? You, you had some close games. You had a couple rough nights. Obviously, a couple of your better players got traded a long way. How, how has the team attitude been during this tough spell? Well, obviously, it's hard on everyone, but uh, we just had to keep positive. We just kept reinforcing that in the room that, you know, we have to keep positive and uh, it ended up turning. We all knew that we could end the streak. All right. So uh, coming up on Wednesday, you have your hockey hooky game. That's the 11:30 in the morning game. It's against Kootenai. Yeah. Uh, how do you like playing that game? Is that is that a weird time to start a game, or what's what's it like once you get out there with all those school kids? Yeah, I think it's a little bit weird for everyone because you have to wake up quite a bit earlier than any every other game, and you don't really have the same routine as always. But uh, it's a lot of fun. The kids love it, and it's a it's usually pretty loud, so it's a lot of fun for the guys too. Right? Yeah, that, you know, every player says that I talked to about this game that it's just loud because the kids are just uh, <laughs> going crazy and cheering yeah. you guys on, no matter what, right? Yeah, they're pretty much screaming the whole game, so it's a lot of fun. <laughs> did you ever get to go to a game like that when you were a kid? Yeah, I did actually, because I went to school here in Edmonton, so that was a big thing when I'm a kid. So to be a part of it now is pretty special. Oh, so you got to go to the Oil Kings games, and and now you you're playing in it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's pretty cool. Um, and then you got, uh, and then you guys have a whole bunch of road games coming up, and then in, into March you'll have some more games at Rogers Place. Hey, I got to ask mm-hmm. you. You guys made the move, obviously, from Rexall Place to Rogers Place. 
this season. I, I know I've uh, talked to your coaching staff, and I said, man, you guys are, are spoiled, joking around a little bit. But what, yeah. what, is, what is it like having that facility as a home rink in the Western League? Well, it's pretty crazy. Like, we, we pretty much get treated like pros there, which is, which is a lot of fun. And it was, it, was a, it was a big transition to start off, but I think the guys are settling in pretty well and using everything uh, to the best of their ability. Okay. Well, Tyler, again, congratulations on the goal, how to break the slump, and I hope you get a streak going in the other direction now. Next game coming up on Wednesday. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Tyler Robertson, big goal yesterday for the Oil Kings. We have a voucher here for a couple of tickets to a future Oil Kings game. You can choose to use it for the 11.30 game on Wednesday if you want. Caller number 3, 780-496-0063. We'll get to see Robertson and the Kings. Uh, the game is against Kootenai, by the way, on Wednesday. Okay, uh, a former Oil King, their old head coach, Derek Laxtall, up next, Inside Sports on Chet. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.